We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Actually, somebody said to me the other week, they said, why are you always so happy? And this was uh, as I was shoveling down my lunch at about quarter to six in the evening. And I said, well, you know, this is going to really annoy you, but I actually really love my job. And I think that's the thing. You have to find the thing that you love because it's what you spend most of your life doing. So I think I'm just very lucky in that I have actually found something that I really love. When you conjure up an idea of what strength looks like, would it be physical muscles you'd see? Here at Give Me Strength, we believe that strength doesn't look a certain way. For some, it may be the kilograms on their deadlift, but for others, it may be overcoming challenges that life can throw at us or developing a resilience through difficult experiences. My name is Alice Living. I'm a personal trainer, best-selling author, and influencer who knows only too well that strength is so much more than being just about the physical. And it's my mission now to use this podcast to inspire you with stories from people who've had to find courage through the most challenging or darkest of times, and who can help all of us to be inspired to be not just physically, but mentally stronger too. Welcome to Give Me Strength. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Give Me Strength. It is my first live podcast and I am thrilled to be joined by Dr. Anita Mitra. Anita is an NHS doctor based in London working in obstetrics and gynaecology. She has experience in both clinical medicine and research and prior to becoming a doctor she worked in a research lab and has recently completed her PhD on the vaginal microbiome in cervical precancer and the reproductive complications of treatment for cervical precancer. She is also a best-selling author with her debut book, The Gyne Geek, as well as regularly posting informative messages on social media under the same name. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into all things gyne, and I'm hoping that in doing so, we can help everyone in the audience and everyone listening to feel more informed about their bodies and therefore stronger and more empowered as a result. Welcome, Anita. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you very much. So you've come from the labour ward delivering I babies. I have, and I haven't had a wash, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> so you're feeling nice and fresh and it was only two yeah. today am I right yeah just two babies it was a pretty pretty slow day actually but uh just a, just a slow day all as well <laughs> I thought that we could start I'm always interested about how people become a doctor and what was your drive and particularly about how you became a gynecologist so I thought you could take us back and give us a little bit of background as to how you became a doctor and entered the world of gynecology yeah sure so I always wanted to be a doctor so um, my parents have this photo album of me and um, probably in about 50% of the photos I'm dressed up as a doctor or a nurse well mainly a nurse actually because when you're a girl you're supposed to be a nurse not a doctor and uh, so I tried to get into medical school when I was 18 because um, that's what you have to do you do a five-year degree and I actually didn't get in because I didn't get um, good enough A-level results so what I did was I went to university and I did a degree in science and that's when I became really fascinated in research and I think this was one of the earliest examples to me of how you have to make the best out of a bad situation and how I it wasn't what I wanted to do but actually it probably was one of the best things that happened to me really because I'm not sure I'd be doing what I am today if I hadn't have done that science degree 
degree. Then I went to medical school and I always knew I wanted to do some kind of surgical specialty and I actually thought I wanted to be a transplant surgeon. So I worked with a team who did kidney transplants and again it was kind of part of my open mind that actually got me interested in obstetrics and gynaecology because I didn't think I was interested in it and actually on my very first day of my placement my best friend who was my ward partner said to me Anita you're really quiet what's going on and I said I just I don't really like being on the labor ward I'm a, I'm a bit scared which is kind of ironic because you know that's where I've just come from today and you've also just come from transplants which to me is, sounds even more terrifying than delivering babies <laughs> I mean yeah it's all uh, it's all relative then I basically had this amazing consultant who just taught me so much, showed me the amazing things that we can do, and I just became really fascinated in women's health. And so now you work in the NHS. Yeah, I do. Um, and you're very good at posting the realities of your job on social media. I remember one of your posts where you listed all of the things that you'd done in the day, and it made me feel totally inadequate. And I was like, sat there at my laptop just being like, oh my God. <laughs> like, what you do in a day is crazy and sometimes really, really challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you maybe explain a typical day in the life of the gynae geek? I mean, there's not really any kind of typical day. So every day is really varied, and that's what I really love about the specialty. So, for example, today I was on the labour ward so we start at eight o'clock in the morning and then we just are there for anyone who's having a delivery anybody who needs a cesarean section um, anyone with complications during pregnancy um, or immediately after but on other days I might be in clinic for example where I see people with polycystic ovarian syndrome endometriosis fertility issues I also scan so we're scanning people in early pregnancy um, some days I might be on call for the acute gynaecology service, so that's where we see anybody who comes into the accident and emergency department with any kind of gynaecological emergency. It's incredibly varied, it's incredibly fast-paced, and that's what I really love about it. It's amazing when I post about what I do at work, people are like, wow, that's incredible, but this is what we're all doing every day, and, and I don't feel... I don't know, sometimes people write loads of amazing comments like, wow, you're a superwoman, but actually everyone's doing this and, and it's just amazing what actually is going on in the NHS and that's why I think it's important that we do speak out about it uh, and people understand what's actually going on. And I think what's really interesting is the NHS is known for maybe being a bit more um, doom and gloom, like hospitals aren't exactly um, the happiest of places, but actually in Obs and Gynae, I guess you're delivering babies and that is quite like a joyful thing. Do you find that that keeps you engaged in your job? And I'm sure it comes with its negatives as well, but do you find that's something that gives you that thrill? We see people who are having the best day of their lives, but we also see people who are having the worst day of their lives. So I deal on you know, day-to-day -day basis of people who are, who are having pregnancy loss, people who are diagnosed with cancer, people who are very worried that that's the diagnosis. And it is a really stressful specialty and, and um, there's lots of my colleagues who really are struggling and it's well known that lots of people do drop out and leave the specialty which is a real shame but you know I think that it's so rewarding but I think that all specialties in medicine can be really rewarding but you just have to make sure that you're doing the right one because actually somebody said to me the other week they said why are you always so happy and this was uh, as I was shoveling down my lunch at about quarter to six in the evening. And I said, well, you know, this is going to really annoy you, but I actually really love my job. And I think that's the thing. You have to find the thing that you love because it's what you spend most of your life doing. So I think I'm just very lucky in that I have actually found something that I really love. 
And I think it shows because you've done a day in the hospital and you're now here at six o'clock on a Monday evening talking about what you've done. And that's why I have hat hair. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst your busy, busy life, you do manage to fit lots of other things in. You've recently got married and you're also studying for more qualifications, which blows my mind. How do you fit it all in? So just since you mentioned about that I've just got married, what I find really fascinating is that that's the thing over the last few years that I've been congratulated the most about. (laughs) And it kind of really irritates me because I think as society, we're just celebrated for being people who, you know, you get engaged, you get married, and and then everyone expects Mm. you to have a child, which is currently a massive frustration of mine because people are always asking me if I'm pregnant. I'm not, it's a food baby. (laughs) And... (laughs) And I just think that's really sad that it's 2020. And honestly, that's the thing that the most people have said to me, I really want to say congratulations. Um, Or, you know, I I should take you out for a drink to celebrate. But I don't know. I mean, I I don't think I do do it all. And that's the thing. I think that we often, you know, you only see the good parts on social media. So you don't really see me. Like on Friday morning, I literally couldn't get out of bed. I had had such a busy day on Thursday. That's the day that I had my lunch at quarter to six. And... I just couldn't get out of bed. And I thought, this is the part that no one actually sees, that sometimes I do just stay in bed all day. I'm glad you do. It makes me feel a little bit better about myself. And I'm going to tie this into exercise a little bit now because I know that you and I bond over our love of weight training and amongst everything that you've spoken about there, you also managed to fit in 6am gym sessions, which blows my mind. But why is this your preferred method of training? Well, the 6am part, uh, since you mentioned it, is because that's the only time I can go in the morning, but also because I go to this um, kind of like dirty boys weightlifting gym. And if you go after eight <laughs> o'clock, they're all in there like grunting and like talking about like, I like saw this girl the other day and like, yeah, Netflix and chill, yeah. And I just, I can't deal with her. Like, and there's you and Rupi <laughs> doing the koala challenge. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. But uh, I fit it in because I really want to. And this is the thing, like, I think people who haven't maybe found the sport that they love or, you know, hobby that they love they don't really understand why I like to go because for me it's just it's time for myself it's a time when I can just switch my phone off and I just go and I love it and listen to some kind of dodgy garage music but you know it's just it's really important to have that thing where you just do it for yourself and you really enjoy it we're going to segue into all things Skyny now, so prepare yourself. Now, one of the areas that fascinates me most and that's thankfully received much more airtime recently is the subject of periods. What used to be such a taboo subject was never spoken about. I remember even being at school and being mortified that I'd started my period before all my friends. Um, It's finally becoming normalised. And even this week, there was the news that tampons, sanitary pads and other period products are going to be freely available to all state schools and colleges in England. Woo! Why do you think it's so important that we become more in tune with our menstrual cycle firstly and I guess talking about periods in a more kind of normalized way I think I have to say thank you to you Alice actually because I think you were an early adopter of period chat I've been championing the message (laughs) for a long time and and that's why I think that it's so important for normal people to talk about periods because I can talk about periods all day and night if you want me to and basically that's what I do but the thing is that it's so important because I see so many people who just have so many awful problems related to their periods and they suffer for so long because they're not able to talk about them. And I don't know if any of you have read my book, but the first chapter starts with a story about a lady who I met in the um, A&E department who had basically come in because she'd collapsed because she was bleeding so heavily. And she actually said to me that she'd been having, this was a normal period for her and, and she bleeds like this and she had been doing for 20 years. 
so this is a woman who, you know, 20 times 12, I'm not really very good at maths, but, uh, you know, many, many hundred times she had yeah. this awful experience. And she said to me, actually, the reason why she didn't go to the doctor to start with is because she thought it was normal. She thought that's what mm. periods were like. And so if you never speak to anybody about what your period is like, then your period is normal. And then she said that she started to realise it wasn't. But then she was too embarrassed to go to the doctor. And I just think that's really sad because society has unfortunately made periods and vaginas and everything to do with female health quite taboo. Mm. And I also think there's kind of a preoccupation often that somebody's done something wrong to themselves or mm. that it's some kind of sexual related sort of infection or problem mm. or something like that. And, and I just think that the more we are able to talk about these kind of things, the less people will suffer. I think it's so important. And like, I remember at school, we just would never talk about periods. It was just something that you sort of, you know, you would take your bag to the toilet because you were too embarrassed to even get a tampon out your bag. Whereas now, I yeah, can talk everyone's about Everyone's done the sleeve walk of shame. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> even like, even now I have to really like check myself and just think, God, it's totally normal. Yeah. But I think something that's really important as well is understanding our menstrual cycle. Mm. So I know there's been a lot of chat around tracking apps and stuff, yeah. but I think... I'm, I guess, in the camp four in that I think it's a really positive step for women understanding their cycle because there's such a huge spectrum of what is normal and is there even such a thing as normal? And I'm sure you can yeah. tell us. Do you see a really positive step in those becoming much more widely available and more popular? So the menstrual cycle is the whole month, basically. And I think that's something to be quite clear about because we often think about the menstrual cycle as just being when you're having a period. But actually, that's just a few days mm. and so the first day of your period is day one of your menstrual cycle and throughout the rest of the month there's so many hormonal changes going on and as women we are completely different beings when we think about what we are on a hormonal and biochemical level from one day to the next mm. and I think it's really important to be aware of that because you're not going to feel the same way every day you're not going your body's not going to react in the same way and so I think that tracking apps can be quite useful because often there are certain symptoms that you can get for example I think ovulation pain is, is a really big thing that I'm seeing quite a lot and um, so when you ovulate it's it's quite common actually to get often quite like a like toothachey pain kind of in one side of your lower abdomen and if you don't know that you know that's a thing and it's happening to you every month then you can think gosh what's going on but when you start to track it and realize that actually that's when it's happening in your cycle then I think that that can be quite helpful so I think that tracking apps can be useful to help you see patterns and changes in your own body but then I also have started to see that particularly a lot of companies seem to be wanting to jump onto this kind of like menstrual cycle bandwagon because sure the menstrual cycle is related to not just your physical health but you know your emotions and and things that you may want to do or may not want to do at different times of the cycle and I feel like now there's almost becoming this kind of overemphasis and lots of companies trying to sell people things related to their menstrual cycle and where they are and, and then I think that can become a little bit problematic because if you're using hormonal contraception you're not always having a menstrual cycle in the way that you would if you are not using hormones and that's absolutely fine but then it's kind of there's this message out there that I'm starting to see in a bit of an undercurrent that almost tells people that if they're not having a natural menstrual cycle they're not using their body to its full potential and I think that's a little bit problematic as a message yeah. because then 
it kind of puts people off using hormonal contraception, which there are many reasons for why people might need and to. There's this huge controversy around natural versus not natural. Um, and we are going to touch on that later. But I wanted to touch on something that you mentioned about the hormonal changes that occur mm. throughout the month. And I know that understanding these can have a huge impact on how we go about exercising. And I wondered if you could possibly explain how the differences in estrogen and progesterone, for example, can have an impact on how we go about exercising. We'll be back after this. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Yeah, sure. So when you have your period, your estrogen and progesterone levels are both quite low. And so at that time, you've got a good ability to use glucose as a source of energy because your menstrual cycle hormones interact with all the different hormones in your body so they play um, a role in changing how the thyroid works how the pancreas works all the different hormones they're all interlinked it's not just the ovaries desperately pumping away down there on their own and so it's been shown in studies that you're actually quite good at doing HIIT training for example when you're in that sort of first week of the cycle and then as you get towards ovulation which is generally in the middle of the cycle so about day 14 you're estrogen levels are going up and so often um, in studies they've found that actually your strength is really increasing at that point so if you were doing a weightlifting based training then that's when you might be most likely to get um, your PB if you want to like nail a deadlift or something there's a particular weight you've been going for maybe that's the time to go for it then later on in the cycle that's when we tend to use fats more as of a source of energy and so often endurance training can be better at that point in time but I think that, again, it's good to be aware, but then also sometimes there can be a bit of overemphasis. And so like, if you take that all to heart, then you'd be doing HIIT training one week, then you'd be, dead, um, you'd be weightlifting the next week, <laughs> and then you'd be kind of like doing long runs and swims and cycles and yeah. maybe you know, that kind of thing later. So I think it's good to be aware. I think one thing that it helps with is that I know in that second phase of the month that I'm not going to be getting those PBs and that's okay. Particularly with the fluctuations in hormones, it can have an impact on your energy levels, on your strength output. So removing the pressure and kind of thinking that... Anything, yeah, definitely. Is, anything is good and that maybe you might not hit those numbers this week but just wait until you're in day one again and we can start to work towards those again so I think it helps in that sense yeah it's really important to be aware of the fact that you know there is such a variation and there may be reasons why and sometimes you know I'll go to the gym and I think that was a really bad session and then I'll think ah that's where I am in my cycle so it kind of allows me to be a bit kinder to myself um, and it can be useful for that I also get asked quite a lot is it okay to exercise when I'm having my period? And so, yeah, absolutely. If you want to, that's mm. great. You can definitely exercise. I think often because people feel quite tired and the reason you feel tired when you're having a period is because your estrogen levels are quite low, but it doesn't make it unsafe. Just do what you want to do. And it can be quite helpful with period pain as well, just to get some movement going. And, you know, everyone's yeah. different, but um, yeah, I do get asked that a lot. So that's one 
myth busted. That's one thing I was going to touch on now is that exercise can be great for helping with our periods, alleviating period cramps to reducing fatigue as well. But there's also such a thing as too much of a good thing. And I think this comes to the other end of the spectrum when it comes to periods is that hypothalamic amenorrhea has become more prevalent as we become more exercise obsessed. And it's definitely something that I've seen more cases of, and I'm sure that you have too. Can you maybe explain firstly what it is maybe, mm. and why it's problematic? You did a very good job at pronouncing that uh, term <laughs> there. So hypothalamic amenorrhea. So essentially what it means is that your body senses that it's very stressed. So we always think of stress as an acute psychological or even chronic psychological um, insult. So say you've got financial issues or you've fallen out with a friend or something like that. But actually... The body senses so many things as stress. So when you're over-exercising, you basically are expending too much energy and not taking enough energy in, and that's what tends to happen. But also, people who are over-exercising also tend to be probably not sleeping very well, generally feeling stressed about other aspects of life. So, so many things are feeding into our brain, and what our body does is stops the menstrual cycle because it has to prioritize things that are the most important. So your body prioritizes maintaining your blood pressure, your heart rate, your digestion, brain function in other areas rather than giving you a period. And it's kind of realized that this is a woman who's not in any fit state to have a pregnancy or look after a child because ultimately our bodies as women as much as i am a feminist we are built to reproduce mm. and to have children and that's why we have a menstrual cycle it's not to detoxify our bodies or anything like you know you might read online mm. it's because our body is trying to to reproduce and so it's a way of conserving energy and it's actually so common this is one of the reasons why i kind of started talking about women's health online because it's something that i personally experienced and this happened um was quite a long time ago now but i was a doctor at the time and i was really stressed at work and we used to like do circuit training and, and i was really into insanity as well then sean t was like my best friend <laughs> at that time yeah, I was packing up my house, actually, because I was moving, and uh, found a box of tampons, and I thought, oh, I haven't used those for quite a long time. And I knew I wasn't pregnant, because I'd been too busy with Sean T to get busy with anyone else. And so I just thought, mm, okay, fine. And then about a year later, I thought, I still haven't had a period. And so... It got to about two years and I thought, this is a bit weird. I probably should do something about this. So I went to the doctor and it was the summer and I was wearing a vest and I had pretty good arms at this point. And I caught her looking at me and she said, what, what exercise do you do? And I said, I just started weightlifting. I was very proud of myself. <laughs> I was an early adopter of weightlifting. <laughs> and she said, ah, that's it. That's why you're not having periods because women aren't supposed to lift weights. Ooh. And so it was quite interesting. And she said, you just need to stop exercising and your periods will come back. And I thought, oh, okay. And, you know, when you're so into something and so mm. obsessed, if someone tells you not to do it, you just want to do it even more, don't mm. you? And I think that's something that I find, you know, it's a helpful reflection for me when I speak to people who are also going through this because you can't just tell someone, well, you'll get your period back if you stop exercising because that's the last thing they want to hear. You're telling them, stop doing the thing that you really enjoy. Mm. But it is quite important because ultimately when we're not having periods because of hypothalamic amenorrhea, you're not making very much estrogen and so 
you are not building your bones because we build our peak bone mass when we're in our 20s. And so that's the last time that you don't want to be having a period for a reason other than being on a hormonal contraception. It's quite dangerous. And so I think sometimes it's more of a change of mindset Mm -hmm. because at the time, I mean, I think I was training like six times a week and doing some kind of like very overactive yoga as my rest session. So, you know, it, it took a while, but it's really important to understand why it's important to have a period. You're absolutely right. No exercise might not be an option, but we definitely need to learn to to somehow find that balance because we have all become a little bit exercise obsessed. And it is important that that doesn't overtake, I guess, the body's fundamental needs to, to function normally. Exactly. You know, oh, come on, we all want to look good. I'm not going to lie to you about that. But, you know, I think that we have to think, you know, we're doing this to build strong bodies that are going to see us through a long and healthy life. And, you know, if yeah. you need to change what you're doing, then ultimately, if um, it's going to be worth it for the long run, I think completely. we have Completely. And I think, yes, we want to look good, as you said. But also, should that be achieved in the sacrifice for exactly. your actual health? You know, for me, that, that's, that's what it comes down to. We're going to move on to contraception, because I know this is a huge topic that you often get asked about. And it's something that I'm actually frequently asked about, too. And it feels like it's one of those areas that's still sort of shrouded in myth and a lot of scaremongering, too. So I thought it was really important to cut the fact from fiction here. The most common prescribed form of contraception in the UK is still the contraceptive pill. And I feel that this is the one that kind of causes the most controversy. Why are people so divided when it comes to taking the pill? Yeah, it's a really controversial topic at the moment. I just get so many questions about the pill. And I think that really the pill is like peanut butter. So stick with me here. (laughs) There's quite a lot of different kinds of peanut butter, the smooth and crunchy. So there's the combined oral contraceptive pill and then there's a progesterone only pill. And then there's so many different brands within that. And so all the different kinds of pills contain different ingredients, essentially. Mm -hmm. So different kinds of estrogen, different kinds of progesterone. And everybody's going to get on with a different kind. Now, some people might not be able to take the pill for medical reasons, but then there might be a pill that you try, for example, and you're like, Anita, this is like the best pill in the world, it's amazing, and I try it and I don't like it. Or, you know, I might take a pill and I say, Alice, this is the best pill in the world, and then you take it and you say, I've put on loads of weight and I'm really spotty and I really don't like it. So Mm. everyone's going to react differently. And I think that, Sure, there are a lot of people who actually have had really bad reactions to various kinds of pills, but it doesn't mean that everybody's going to. And I think that this is why sometimes sharing information online can be problematic as well, Mm. because if you've had a really bad time, you want to tell people about it because you don't want other people to suffer, do you? But actually, that might be the right option for them. Mm. So I think it's really difficult. And you know, as well as side effects, the pill actually has some really positive effects. And, you know, I have patients who literally wouldn't be able to go to work if they didn't take the pill. And I'd have to say, I'm not sponsored by any pill companies. No, but I also (laughs) think it's really difficult because we do never hear the positive side of it. I think all I ever hear and all I've ever kind of questioned about is the negative side effects. You know, I have a lot of people message me talking about mood changes and the Mm. fact that they feel like a completely different person when they've been on the pill. And I remember having a conversation with you actually a while ago and you saying people are almost scared to try different ones but I might like meridian peanut butter but you might like pip and nut and you have to try all of them before you know which one you want to settle for yeah definitely because there might be one that's perfect for you and it's really not perfect for someone else and the other thing as well is that your hormones are actually changing throughout your life so what your hormones are 
say when you're 21 are going to be quite different when you're 35. So taking a pill that you took when you're 21 really might not suit you when you're 35. So it's all about kind of like seeing what what's the best fit mm. and just taking it from there. And I think that there isn't really strong evidence to show that the pill causes things like problems with mood, weight gain. I think they're the two that I hear people talking about the most. But, but there skin might be maybe a, well. a pill in particular mm. that does that for you, but there might be one that doesn't. So it is really difficult. And, and I think we don't hear enough about the positive aspects of being on the pill. And a lot of people get on really well with it, but feel really guilty for taking it. Mm. But actually, you know, it, it can reduce your risk of ovarian cancer, colorectal cancer, and endometrial cancer, which is cancer of the lining of the womb, for many decades after stopping it. Mm. And so I think that's something that's really not spoken about. And so I think that if you like it and you want to take it, carry on. And I think this goes back to the conversation that we were having earlier about natural versus not natural that a lot of people and and I guess a lot of the fear mongering comes from oh I'm putting hormones into my body how do you feel about the conversation around that and how do you sort of tackle it because it's something that's really big online well the thing is that yeah there's this whole like natural versus unnatural or natural versus synthetic but I mean I just told you about how I didn't have a period for like more than two years that's pretty unnatural right and that's something that I managed to do with my own hormones so we can actually cause natural mm. hormones to go quite haywire as well so it's not that we're doing something bad by putting something um, into our bodies if you can tolerate it if you get on with it and you know mm. the way I feel about contraception is probably quite different to other people because I see some really crazy things so I, I had a lady a few years ago and she had 13 children and I, I was about to do a cesarean section for her to have a 14th child oh and we were having a really great chat actually because I was fascinated I was like <laughs> I can't even look after myself how do you look after all these people um, and I said to her how many more children are you planning on having and she said, well, I don't know, because I'm only... I can't remember how old she was. She was in her 30s, so she had potential to have quite a few more children. And I said, well, you know, have you spoken to your doctor about contraception? And she said, what's that? And so I said, well, that's how you have sex without getting pregnant. And she said, I can't have my tubes cut. My husband would be really angry. And I said, no, you don't have to have your tubes cut. You know, we can give you medication. We can put a coil in and implant something like that. And she honestly never heard of this. <gasps> I, look, I agree. There's not, there's not one ideal contraception. But the fact that we actually have choices mm. is... I think we have to be really lucky about that. And unfortunately, yeah. you know, lack of contraception is the reason why women die in the world. Because... In some countries, women have no access to yeah. this, and they, they literally die in childbirth, unfortunately. And so I think we're so incredibly lucky mm -hmm. because we have these choices. We're going to go right to the other end of the spectrum now and talk about Gwyneth Paltrow, because I couldn't not mention her. <laughs> and she can be blamed for a lot of weird stuff we're encouraged to do down there, the vaginal egg being one of them, and many other crazy suggestions that she has on her Goop website. There's an amazing doctor I follow on, on Twitter, Dr. Jen Gunter, who I know goes in at her a lot but I wondered if you could maybe talk about why this kind of stuff is so problematic yeah I think that um the wellness industry has just exploded over the last few years hasn't it and unfortunately I think that a lot of people are kind of like jumping on the vagina bandwagon because you know we all want to be in optimum health and mm. I don't know I feel like sometimes these kind of products are being sold to us and it's kind of like fake female empowerment because mm. 
we don't need all these excess products and we don't need to be sold things to make our bodies better or make us feel better about ourselves. It's just, we're literally being used as advertising targets. Mm. And I think that it, it also increases anxiety because if you see a product on the market, you think, well, I don't use that. Should I be using that mm. product? And you don't need to. And, and the thing is that, you know, you can make anything look nice if you have the right advertising campaign around it. You know, it's glamorizing something that's just just doesn't need to be. Exactly. And I think that's the problem. And so I think that, you know, you've got to nail the basics. So again, be aware of your symptoms. Make sure you have your smear tests, have your STI screens. Don't smoke as well. That is not cool when it comes to gynecological health. Yeah. One of my favorite pages in my book is a bit where it says if you smoke, your vagina smokes too. And it's so true. Anyway, I won't go into know, that too much, but it's some, um, not good. No, I know we have some men in the room as well tonight now. Um, so it does a lot to sperm health as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well done for all the men who have come tonight. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really proud. <laughs> There's been a lot of period chat, so well done for sticking it out. <laughs> well, it's really important for men to learn. 100%. And, uh, but yeah, you're right. Smoking is not good for the boys either. So, yeah, don't do it. So this is the thing, you know, you've got to do the basics mm. um, and, you know, make sure that you're having a generally balanced diet, make sure you're doing some form of exercise and then just, you're fine. You don't need to buy any of these things. If you have symptoms, don't start to buy things from various websites. Go and speak to a doctor. Leave the vagina eggs to Gwenny. If there was one thing that we could all do today to improve our gynecological health, what would it be? If you had one thing... Just get to know what's normal for you. It's just so important. Mm. Now, I ask all of my guests two questions at the end of every episode, bringing it back to strength. My first question is, what does strength look like to you? So to me, it means being able to do the things that you want to do. And sometimes that means that you do need to just pick yourself up when something hasn't gone quite right and just keep going. And... You know, that to me is real strength. And my last question to you is, who in your life demonstrates strength the most? Okay, this is kind of cheesy, but to be honest with you, it's just all the amazing normal women out there. You know, the people that I see day in, day out who are struggling with, you know, awful health problems, but they are going to work, they're looking after kids, pets, husbands, you know, just doing all these things that, women everywhere are doing going through dreadful dreadful situations and you know i think there's so much emphasis these days on you know everyone having their like perfect lifestyle you know looking perfect all the time having perfect lunches going on perfect holidays running a business on the side and you know i just think that we just need to appreciate the people who you know just keep the world going around there's so much in that and I completely agree with you that I think we we so badly just celebrate the overachievers and we're always taught to be climbing the ladder exactly but and actually you know, there's so much strength in the people that just keep going you know and are and are happy and and just carry on and you know some for some people strength is just getting out of bed each day yeah absolutely I mean it's okay to struggle and that's the mm. thing I think that you can't be perfect all the time and you can't be achieving all the time and sometimes you know you will will struggle but Often when I'm having a hard time, I think of really normal people that I've come across. So, for example, if I'm in the gym, I'm like, oh, God, I can't, I can't do that last rep. And I think, 
gosh, that woman yesterday who was having a baby and she pushed like crazy. If she can do it, I can do it. And that kind of thing just uh, that sounds really, you know, trivial, but that really motivates me. And, you know, I just mm. think of those kind of scenarios and I think, wow, actually, I'm really lucky. Mm. There's definitely something in gratitude. And yeah, to try to remember that each day. Anita, you have been so wonderful. I'm forever in awe and admiration of you. You are the most wonderful person and we are so lucky to have you in our NHS. Thank you. So thank you so much for this Thanks. evening and for giving up your time because I know you are so busy. You're probably one of the busiest people I know. So thank you so much. I really appreciate all of you guys coming out. Thank you so much for being such a great audience and have a wonderful rest of your evening. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Give Me Strength. We appreciate any feedback you can give, so please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and come back next week for another episode.